Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I'm Peachum Sadamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we parse through the weekly decisions being made by our political leaders that impact the Black community. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of January 10th, including... The liberal NDP battle for younger Canadians. Questions about who will bear the brunt of Doug Ford's curfew. COVID passports being considered for Ontario. Big congrats to Jean Augustine for winning her Lifetime Achievement Award. Canadians at the U.S. Capitol insurrection. And Ottawa tells hundreds of organizations they're not black enough. Hmm. And we've got special guests. Owen Osinde and Alex Whitfield from Hustle Over Everything. What's good? Yo, What's yo. up, guys, man? We're so excited, good, man, everybody? to be on the drip, drip, you know what I mean? <laughs> you guys have been having amazing conversations on your podcast, Hustle Over Everything, for the past year. Why don't you give our listeners a little taste of what you've been up to? Oh, man. All right, awesome. So real quick, Hustle Over Everything, it is a entrepreneurship podcast where we focus on sharing um, stories, tips, and tactics from entrepreneurs who've done it. Huge. Yeah. And you can find us on Instagram at 247Hustler and on Twitter at 247Hustlers. Okay. And make sure you visit them so you can gain access to cool shit like the merch. Because if some of those sweaters you got, guys, ooh. they go hard, eh? Yo, send us your address after. We've got to link you with one yeah. Okay. <laughs> don't forget. Don't forget about me. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Of course, we got you. We got some ladies gear, too, eh? Um, it's at hustleofeverything.co mm-hmm. for, for the audience. There you go. Let's so, go. you ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. To kick off our politics segment, there's a liberal NDP battle for younger Canadians. Considering the chaos in the U.S., it's pretty easy to get comfortable with Canada's political system and forget that we're in a minority parliament that could see Justin Trudeau lose power at any time. Realistically, though, that seems less and less likely. New analysis done by 338Canada.com shows a number of interesting things about the electoral attitudes of Canadians. Some of you already are aware that the Liberals have historically kept a minimum 4% lead over the Conservatives since April 2020, with the lead getting as high as 11% in July. For comparison, the Liberals have a 6% lead over the cons today. But that's not where the news is. Check this out. The NDP and the Liberals are statistically tied for the youth vote of 18 to 35-year-olds. The NDP is at 34% and the Liberals are at 33 the Liberals have equal popularity, though, when it comes to the other age groups. They're 36% uh, strong amongst those who are 35 to 54, and they have 35% support amongst those who are 55+. plus. In contrast, the NDP is truly Canada's youth party because it only has 9% of support for those under or over 55%, which is still a crucial block. In comparison to the youthful NDP, we've got the CPC, which is basically Canada's seniors party, since the Conservatives are in third place among youth with 21%, but they have a commanding 40% support with those 55 and over. 
The data also makes clear that without millennials, the Liberals wouldn't have won the 2019 election and the NDP wouldn't have got the 24 seats that they did. And we know the most coveted block in the 2019 election was millennials, which the Liberals carried. So is any of this surprising to you, Patience? Absolutely not. I, I think that the NDP and the Liberals have always kind of been the progressive party. And typically progressives tend to be the ones who haven't yet made that much money. So when you're thinking about millennials and you're thinking about Gen Z, they're the folks who benefit from all of the social services that we provide. So they'll vote for the parties or they'll support the parties that are most likely to keep those services alive as opposed to the seniors who are the seniors or the older folks who are more concerned about <laughs> cashing out of the system. Mm-hmm. Alex and Owen, what, what do you guys think? Happy to hop in. I, I think that I completely agree with you. I think the, the youth represent new ideas and that's what is gets communicated through the liberals and through the NDP parties. And that's why it's kind of split between the two of them. I think as well with the internet, there's so much more, uh, left-leaning content that gets consumed by uh, the youth. If you look on Twitter right now, Twitter's predominantly, at least in my feeds, and what I'm seeing when I'm on Twitter is left-leaning content. Um, And I just see the landscape of, you know, Twitter being consistently left-leaning content, um, and Instagram as well, whereas on Facebook, where the uh, age, the ages, um, the demographic is higher, it's predominantly conservative, um, mindsets that, that gets projected on there. And I think social media has a huge play on how um, the content that, you know, puts the youth and the um, older generations into specific parties are, you know, big factors here that we can't sleep on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, um, to what Alex is saying, I completely agree. I think when you look at both sides of it and you look at how our generation has shifted over like past the 2000s and you compare years before that, um, we have as as our generation, we have the feeling of abundance in everything we do. Uh, we've never had any more access to technology, different services, and um, just a standard of life that we have right now available to us is is unprecedented uh, to say the least. So when you have this type of mentality, you want have you, we have this feeling of we want to experience more things than actually just attain more things like status and et cetera, like that we want to experience, we want to travel, we want to do certain things. And we want to be aligned with a party which communicates that, which is, hey, let's have equality for all. Let's have help those people in need while also giving you the ability to become the type of person you want to be. Um, And I think the conservatives, if you look at them, um, it's more of a feeling of they want to maintain the status quo they want to hold things back and it's more of like hey we like the old structure we like the way things are if you want this pick yourself up from the bootstraps and get whatever it is that you want to get because this is not a freebie this is not whatever while us it's like we see hey we can create something on twitter we can create something on youtube we can have money we can do this so let's share that with everybody so you're seeing our generation shift towards more the liberals like the ndp more than the conservatives because it's kind of like that old person mentality where we don't have that feeling of we're lacking, where they're feeling like, hey, we're trying to acquire everything we still can where we still can get it. And it's like a doggy doggy eat world. That's Those are the separate uh, views. And I think our generation is seeing things more from the side of we're, we're good, I'm good, and everybody can have the same good. Even though I have it too, you can get it too. Interesting perspectives. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Jumping to our next story, as we all know, under Ontario's new emergency measures, we're, we're essentially under curfew and shouldn't be leaving our homes unless it's absolutely necessary. If we're found to be flouting the measure, we could be charged 750 bucks and get a year in jail in the worst of circumstances. But it looks like Doug Ford's government is trying to get ahead of police doing what many in their ranks do best, terrorizing people of color and the poor. A memo sent to police chiefs a day before the new emergency measures were enacted on Thursday say that cops can't pull people over just to check if they're complying with the measures. The memo also said no individual who's stopped will be required to explain why they're outside their homes. We also don't need to have proof that we're commuting to and from work. So I, I like I don't know, when I first read that, I was asking, so what's the point of all this? And it looks like the idea is to focus enforcement on businesses not in compliance with closures or orders or customer limits. So for example, Toronto police, they're saying that they're going to be responding to calls that complain about gatherings and uh, they'll be doing, you know, dispersing of crowds and they'll be giving tickets to those groups that have more than five people outdoors. So all that considered, what are our thoughts on this? Is this reasonable? Does this make sense? Could this be abused? This could easily be abused in my opinion, but I'm, I'm not going to mm. say too much on this. I want Alex and Owen to go first. But in my opinion, it just could easily be abused. I think it could easily be abused. I agree. Um, I think this is a bounce back from Christmas, to be honest with you. And now they're um, trying to show face that they're actually doing something when they should have initially had a um, lockdown during Christmas time. Because I was in Walmart. I was in no frills and I was in the grocery stores and it was packed to the brim. Mm -hmm. And people were using Walmart as a... Um, shopping store, not just for essentials, you know? Um, so I think that was the main mistake they made and now they're paying for it and trying to overcompensate for it. Mm -hmm. In my opinion. I mean, you know, I, we had this conversation. I've been having this conversation with like my friends and family and um, look, I, I get the virus is, is, is dangerous and, you know, the cases are rising, but I just feel like the, the tactics, the methodologies they're using to enforce people to you know state like you know look we, we're wearing masks we're doing that we've complied with it and the thing is we've been staying home we've been at the crib chilling and the, the funny thing is is like why are you telling us to stay home again twice when we have been doing that and all the essentials are let, guys let's look at it like this all the essentials are closed right a, a lot of the businesses are closed you have the the big box the stores which are costco and um, walmart open and then you have delivery pickup and et cetera. So things were already in complying. So if already were wearing masks, if you already were doing this, what good is extra staying home? And even if you're saying stay home, there's still room for interpretation for, um, okay, like I'll only go for, you know, like there's nothing that's changed, which staying home is going to do differently when Hey, you're saying, hey, parks are still open. You can go get exercise. Hey, you can still go do this. Hey, you can still go to this store and pick up whatever. I think what they want is they want you to stay home and legit stay home. But yet they're giving you room to do these things, which still leaves this blurred line. So I think their communication of what they want has been lost and it doesn't really make sense of what they're trying to do. And lastly, it just feels very like big brother. -y. You know, it feels like they're trying to control us with how they're they're allowing the cops to to ticket us and whatever. And I think it's also going to impact a lot more black people and uh, minorities because the police can 
leave things to their own discretion with who they want to take it. I mean, if you see old man Joe, who's like walking home with like a mask or whatever, then you see another black man or whatever. You, we already know how this is going to play out. And I think that ability to do that is just like a very dangerous territory for leaving things to, uh, for police to that, to, to approach this situation. I agree. To add on to that, I think there's probably going to be quotas that they're going to have to fill. And you know how quotas go with, with police officers. Uh, a lot of times when there's quotas, they go to the black and brown or racialized mm-hmm. neighborhoods to um, fulfill those quotas out because they know or think that there'll be um, people who will violate them in those neighborhoods when they're in our neighborhoods a lot of times. So it's going don't, to I don't think it's going to benefit our neighborhoods at all. But uh, I think it's unfortunate how this is going to play out. Honestly, as well, I, it feels like the government's treating um, small businesses like a scapegoat. Like they can just uh, not a scapegoat, but uh, something that can they, they can just uh, use to uh, get rid of for not get rid of, but you know, harm for now uh, as something that this they can sacrifice. Pardon me, that you know now that. You know, small businesses are closed. Hopefully, they can reduce numbers, but there is no correlation between small businesses closing and COVID rates going down. So, it's just unfortunate, I think. Uh, I just want to say that I think that uh, what Doug Ford is doing is a direct response to what we spoke about on the podcast last week, Curtis, Mm -hmm. which was that a number of politicians have been kind of setting the wrong... Uh, the, the wrong example, many of them <laughs> within Doug Ford's party. We had, we had Rod Phillips. We also had that gentleman out of, just outside of Ottawa, out of like Lanark, whatever, who posted a picture online of, you know, 15 members of his family gathered mm. around the Christmas table. Um, so he needs to come down even harder on those of us who can't, quote, <laughs> stay home any harder than we've already <laughs> been staying home. Because his whole party is mm-hmm. like messing everything up so that, that's that, that's my my final word on that i hear oh, that oh, my, oh, my, fi- my final perspective is you know if we take what he said about the emergency order and the fact that police shouldn't be acting overzealous at face value that's a good thing but patients you and i in particular we've already talked about doug force says one thing and does another just like how he said that in this pandemic no one would be evicted but guess what people have been evicted <laughs> Jumping to the next story, which ties into what we were just talking about, actually. PM Trudeau says his government has no plans to implement vaccine passports, which is basically proof that a person got the vaccine at the federal level. According to Trudeau, forcing the passports on people could have, quote, real divisive impacts, end quote, for our families and communities. I hear that. But provinces may be considering a different approach including the one that we live in. Ontario Health Minister Christine Elliott announced a plan to issue certificates that could allow vaccinated Canadians in the province to travel, work, and meet in small spaces. Then there's the fact that places like Denmark are looking at what they call, quote, digital vaccine passports, end quote, for those who have received their shot. And Greeks PM is pushing for vaccine passports across the EU. Israel unveiled a, quote, green passport that allows vaccinated people to eat out, go to public events, and travel freely, too. Experts say it's challenging because it could provide a false sense of security around immunization. It could also create two classes of people that may not be treated fairly as a result, which is exactly what we were just talking about. Do we like what Trudeau is saying? 
or are we leaning more on the side of Christine Elliott? I think that, I think I know the answer, but there's a, a, a law that needs to be considered. First thing we need to consider is access. Who has access to the vaccine mm. at what time? If if we're looking to to implement these passports at a time where you know you can't just walk into your local shoppers drug mart and get the vaccine, then I do believe that it absolutely does create a two tiered system where some people are essentially free and others are are, are not free, and and that is. Uh, you know, to me, that does look like you're revoking the civil liberties of of human beings, of, of citizens. Absolutely. And, you know, Patience and I, we, we touched on this, if not last week, two weeks ago. And funny enough, it sounds like Justin Trudeau is, uh, you know, he's he, he pays attention to the thoughts in my head because not too long after that, he said, look, there's there's no need for any sort of COVID passport. He actually said it's not a bad idea, but there's no need for it because... It looks like the majority of people are going to be vaccinated in this country anyway. So we'll achieve herd immunity and therefore there'll be no need. Political racism at the federal level continues. Last week, Justin Trudeau did a cabinet shuffle that saw Mississauga Center MP Omar Al-Gabra and former head of the Canadian Arab Federation named Transport Minister. So naturally, the Bloc Québécois decided to commemorate the occasion with racist innuendo. How great. The Bloc leader said, quote, questions arise, end quote, due to the minister's former role as head of the Canadian Arab Federation. At the same damn time, get this, guys, Blanchette said, quote, I refuse to accuse the minister of anything specific. I really don't like what the Bloc did. It follows dog whistle attempts by racists in this country to undermine the qualifications of people of color and other marginalized groups. And this wasn't the first time it happened either. In 2018, a conservative senator wondered aloud, in racist, why is no one asking about Omar having been born in Saudi Arabia, the very country we're in a dispute with? And if you remember back in, I think it was 2015, 2016, we were disputing with them the sale of weapons that they were effectively using on their own people. His response was golden, asking her, quote, Senator, I'm a proud Canadian who is consistent in defending human rights. How about you? End quote. I also really don't like how the media framed this story. CBC in particular, they, they framed it as, quote, new cabinet minister Omar Al-Gabra slams harmful innuendo by Bloch about his past. It's that about his past part that hits different, as if he once used to sell counterfeit credit cards out of the back of Cedarbury Mall or something like that. The man is beyond reproach, as far as we know. And we know there was a better way to describe this story because HuffPost, for example, styled it, New liberal minister hits back at Bloch's dangerous and harmful innuendo. I don't know. What do you guys think? They're acting like the man was part of the Canadian Al-Qaeda Foundation, not... (laughs) (laughs) Like, are are you dumb? Like, are you stupid? Are you stupid? Like, how can you... Like, Arab does not... Like, Arab is literally, like... Like, you know, a, a kind of political grouping of different states in the Middle East. Like, Arab does not mean terror, like, or Al-Qaeda or Taliban. Like, it's it's the ignorance, the lack of education for me. I just... <laughs> I it, it makes for an interesting narrative. I mean, you just, like, it... it it goes back to like how we've always framed certain groups and uh, and and what what we believe they're from and their culture. Um, it acts as if like if this guy's Arab, this is what he's tied to in some way or another. 
you know, we've talked about the bad side of this, obviously, right? I'm going to focus on Omar because he needs to be uplifted here. It's good to see the PM continue his habit of elevating consequential minorities to positions of power and influence within the government. I look forward to him appointing others like Greg Fergus, who've been doing advocacy work on our behalf through the PBC, that's the Parliamentary Black Caucus, or Marcy Ian, a heavyweight in her own right who just won election. Plus, Omar is one of us in that when he first arrived as a student to this country, he worked at a donut shop, he worked at a gas station, he worked at a convenience store, and then he went to Ryerson in New York, he volunteered for NGOs, and he contributed his professional capacity to the private sector. All he had upon arriving here was his cousin. And look at him now. A Syrian, Arab, Muslim, Canadian, engineer, minister of transport. Shoutouts to him. Jumping to the Canadian economy. This week, unfortunately, gave us bad news for employment for thousands of Canadians with Air Canada announcing 1,700 more layoffs and Starbucks gushing about their transformation plan to close 300 Canadian stores by March. The store closures make way for adding new drive through locations and the expansion of delivery and, and a pilot of curbside pickup only coffee shops. The initial plan, though, was to only close 200 stores, so that's been sped up. In the case of Air Canada, the airline is flying at a fifth of its capacity because of travel restrictions. Just to put into perspective, in Q1 of 2019, they were flying 20% more. Herd immunity cannot come soon enough, my guy. Yeah, our economy is hurting. Moving to blackity black black, we have some some pretty aggravating stories this week. But I'm going to start on on the the heaviest note, and then we're going to get lighter as we go. Okay. The Ontario Human Rights Tribunal has awarded $35,000 in damages to a young black child who, when she was six years old, was handcuffed by Peel police at an elementary school in Peel. If you aren't familiar with the story, here's a quick recap. On September 30th, 2016, Peel police received a 911 call from the girl's school. And when they arrived on the scene, two officers, not one, not one, but two officers... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. handcuffed this six-year-old's wrists and ankles. And ankles. Placing her on her stomach with her hands behind her back and held her in that position 
How how long do you think they held her in that position for? Too long. 28 minutes. Then, as if that wasn't bad enough, the Peel police had the guts, the fucking gall, to say that the officers acted in the interest of the, and I quote, safety of other students and ultimately the child, end quote. Now, this story, the, the 2021 update to the story, is supposed to be a good news story. You know, the girl and her family now have $35,000. But dare I say, Curtis, Alex, and Owen, this is not enough. No. The adjudicator in this case, Brenda Bowlby, said, said it best when she said, quote, the applicant has suffered implicit harm in experiencing anti-Black racism at a very tender age. It is clear that because of this incident, she became aware that as a Black person, she may be subject to different treatment than a white child. That's an understatement in my opinion. Mm. Going back to the quote, the full impact of this is unknown, but is now part of the app of the applicant's lived experience and will affect her into the future. End quote. What my my thoughts? She needs more loot. Give it a loot. Run the loot. Run it. <laughs> also, <laughs> also, while the tribunal gave her that money for counseling, which I don't know, I don't know how many of you guys go to counselors, but thirty five thousand is not gonna is not gonna help her. For, for that long? No, not at all. While they gave her that money for counseling, they stopped short of ordering revised training and protocols for police officers in schools. What are your thoughts, guys? Man, this is so unfortunate. I'm so angry just reading that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, 35K? Man. Are you serious? Of, Penny! The trauma goodness, that she's going to go through from that? Like, like how is she going to call the cops moving forward in her life at all? Man, that's egregious. Yeah, I you know patience as you as you were talking when you said thirty five thousand I was I was like that's it I thought she was gonna get like two hundred fifty k plus minimum easily easily, easily. E- like twenty eight minutes you're holding down a six year old child like that is just cruel what do you think she's gonna do to you like how what about her physicality is imposing to you and it's dangerous to other people around guys guys twenty eight yeah. minutes twenty eight minutes. Like what has she shown you in twenty? Is she biting you? Is she does she is she is she armed with like a gun on her that you're feeling like dangerous that she's gonna do something? This was more of an exercise of power and showing you that hey yep. you are a black child. Yep. This is we're setting an example. We're not just doing this to you, but we're showcasing the world of this is what we're gonna do to your children at any time and any way, and you can't do anything about it because we have the power to do so. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. It pulls up like, yo, you, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Mm-hmm. That is it. And people don't understand that. Why, why is this happening to black people? The fucking power imbalance. Exactly. And I also want to just like raise another. So there are two points I want to raise. First off that the, the, the young girl's mother, you know, raised a lot of the things that you just raised Owen saying, you know, her daughter did not have a knife. Her daughter was, you know, did not have scissors even, like had no weapon of any sort. And she's six years old. How big could she really be? And these are police officers who are trained to deal with armed grown ass men. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I want to talk about. The second mm-hmm. thing I wanted to raise, not talk about, but raise. The second thing I wanted to raise is that um, there, there, was a, there was a teacher who called 911. Why are you calling 911 on a six-year-old? Madness. Madness. This- 
Where's the principal? Like, what? what? If this was a white girl, like, you know, little Sally or whatever, this would be an uproar across, like, everywhere. Like, this would be, it will be blasphemous. So moving on to our next story, Ottawa tells hundreds of organizations that they're not black enough for black funding. Hmm. Employment and Social Development Canada has rejected 400 applications to their Supporting Black Canadian Communities initiative, claiming the organizations applying are not Black enough. The program guidelines call for two-thirds of the leadership or in the governance structure to self-identify as Black. Operation Black Vote Canada, a huge organizer and convener of Black politicians that literally aims to get more black people elected at all levels of government. Um, we're told that they were not approved for funding for this exact reason. Operation black vote Canada has said publicly that everyone on their team is black. Literally everyone on their team is black. The, Ontario Black History Society, another well-known Black organization, also had their application rejected because they weren't Black enough. Any thoughts on what the hell is going on? <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I think it's important that we first say um, this decision to, to not allow these organizations to receive funding, it was not approved by, like, Hussein did not see yeah. it yes. before it went out. And he himself was furious. Um, and then we have people like, so he was furious. But then we also have people like Selena Caesar Chavan, who was a liberal MP and left because she was just upset with the, the speed of progress around Black issues. And she says, quote, if you think I'm upset about this, I'm livid because I'm tired of this government. And I'm, I'm reading this quote because like she's real. And I, I think we have to like uplift the realness. Yeah. Because I'm tired of this government in particular pandering to black communities, using us when they need to take photo ops and take a knee in the middle of a fucking crowd. That's literally what she said. In the middle of a fucking crowd. Ah. And then when they get back up, telling us we're not black enough to give us a little piece of the pennies that they're giving us in the first goddamn place. End quote. That was a statement to the Toronto Star. Everyone needs to buy Selena's book. Buy the book, (laughs) y'all. Real, like, like, yo. I mean, okay, and so, so that's that's. I guess we kind of just framed it in terms of the full picture. You know, we have a government led by Justin Trudeau that, particularly since the summertime, has said, "Okay, I get it. We're going to be doing a lot more." And I mean, so they did do a lot more, but then we have the public service, and this is what I'm trying to get at. The public service, many in the public service are still not getting it. What do we do about those people? I mean, I, I do. So I, I don't want. I don't want to argue with you already. But I, I do feel like, as much as Hussein did, you know, say that he was really upset about this happening. Why is there no kind of oversight? Like, why? Why is it that he only found out after the the kind of emails were sent? Um, and for, from the from the perspective of an organization like Operation Black Vote Canada, uh, they received an initial communication that you know they they didn't their organization wasn't black enough, and then yeah. they received a second <laughs> they received a second communication saying that because they did not respond to the first communication, their application was being denied. 
So th- this is kind of like waves of information, and I, I, I'm not I'm not blaming it on him. He's one person, but I, I wonder why you know this is happening on such a widespread basis, and he he's only finding out about it once Selena is talking about it publicly. Doesn't look great. I I'm going to be direct in saying that I you know I do not know. Obviously, none of us know, except for Hussein and anybody who was actually involved in the situation, what happened, right? But I think it's important to consider that there may be some who may be trying to undercut Hussein as a black man. Um, If I I think of my own personal example, and patients, I've kind of told you an example of this. Um, But right now, so Alex and and, and, uh, and Owen, I'm talking to you directly right now. Right now, I'm responsible for as vice chair of the candidate search committee responsible for finding the candidate for my writing Scarborough North. Mm-hmm. Right now in that process, um, what I wanted to do was make sure that we spoke to basically marginalized people and underserved communities. So I was very explicit in the flyer that I made and the process that I made it saying, we want to talk to women. We want to talk to BIPOC. We want to talk to LGBTQ, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Believe it or not, there were people around my board, right? There were people around my board saying doing so would be discriminatory to men and discriminatory to people in the faith-based community. And as a result, they didn't want to move forward in that direction. Mm-hmm. And they attempted to undercut me. Wow. So how do we know this isn't happening to Hussein? Why would he, why, why, this is such a serious issue, especially for him as literally the only black cabinet minister at the federal level, right? Mm-hmm. Why would he not be on top of this? You see what I mean? It's a great Smells point. Like setup. So moving on to the happiest story in this segment of Blackity Black Black. Uh, this year, McLean's Magazine is recognizing Jean Augustine, Canada's first Black female MP, with their Lifetime Achievement Award. Born and raised in Grenada, she immigrated to Canada as a nanny through the Canada-Caribbean Domestic Work Program, then attended Teachers College and taught for years before becoming an administrator. There followed stints on the Canadian Advisory Council on the Status of Women and as chair of the Metro Housing Authority before she was elected as an MP. Ms. Augustine became an MP in her 50s with a long career in education and community activism behind her. So she didn't arrive in Ottawa chasing cabinet positions, Augustine says, but rather looking to craft real change in small focused areas where she knew it mattered. One major win for her career was advancing the motion in 1995 that established February as Black History Month in Canada. This award is well-deserved. Congratulations to Jean Augustine. Congratulations. Well-deserved. Big up, Jean. We're proud of you. Doing big things for us. Moving on to news from the world. You guys know we're, we're coming up to the U.S. presidential inauguration, so we had to keep giving you the dirt. <laughs> Curtis, did you know that at least one Canadian flag can be seen waving in photos and video of the mobbing of the, of the Capitol building? Did you know that? I'll do you one better. Did oh. you know that a Alberta cabinet minister was one of those people? Come on, fam! <laughs> like, I, 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 this is so bad. Yeah. Like, I want to introduce, 
I really want to introduce you guys to two nurses who are making waves in the wrong direction. <laughs> Even a lockdown could not prevent these two nurses, Sarah Shajunian and Kristen Nagel, who are active in the so-called anti-lockdown movement from going to Washington for the events of January 6th. So I just want to break this down because I know I just said it, but I just want to repeat it for the listenership. Mm-hmm. These are two nurses, nurses, mm-hmm. two nurses who, who mm-hmm. you know, are like nurses are our heroes right now, but not these two. Although not, that. <laughs> not these ones. Although there is no evidence that either nurse participated in the violence that erupted after the, the really large rally slash riot, their trip to Washington raises questions about loopholes in the rules governing travel between the United States and Canada during this pandemic, particularly the travel of those who are frontline healthcare workers. For these two, it, it may not matter because according to the College of Nurses in Ontario, Nagel has worked at the London Health Sciences Centre Children's Hospital of Western Ontario since 2012. But I'm sorry, I just have to say, of course she's from London. I'm just like, <laughs> the amount of voices in my hair coming out of London? In a statement, the hospital said that she has been put on an unpaid leave. Here's a quote from her, her bosses at the hospital. Quote, we continue to learn of actions involving a NICU nurse at London Health Sciences Centre that are not aligned with the London Health Sciences Centre's values. Upon originally learning of concerns related to participation in a local anti-masking rally back in November, the London Health Sciences Centre took immediate action to ensure the hospital remains a safe environment for everyone by placing her on an unpaid leave pending the results of the investigation. So good on you, London Health Sciences Centre. True. Right? The second nurse, Sarah Shajunian, is listed as having worked at a long-term care home outside of Toronto from 2007 to 2020. In video of the nurse's event on January 6th, she said that she was fired because of her social media posts about the coronavirus restrictions, such as lockdowns. Do you want to know what her title is now, Curtis? Yo, don't. Life coach. I swear to God. Oh my God. You know what? (laughs) Any Any comments about... Um, about Sarah and uh, Kristen, the, the two Canadian nurses who went uh, to Washington for January 6th. Listen, this life coach and her partner can coach themselves to their couch and take several seats. <laughs> they can coach themselves to the jail. Your life, <laughs> I lie. Like, your life coach, you don't need credentials for that. Like, yeah. you know, you've lived life. Let me coach you on what I know. And another thing, you never know who's like wolves in sheep's clothing. That's what I've come to realize, even here in Canada. Mm. Like, if for them to be able to go out and do that, like two nurses who we think are like so uh, angelic, they're here to help the people, they're here to, you know, help us move on forward. Some of these people we interact with every day are more of like the Sarah Shujunians and her and, and, and Nagel. You feel me? Like, and, and that's what's got me worried is a lot of the people who we talk to are are capable of this. We just don't know them. And uh, Sarah and, and uh, Miss Nagel here are just the ones to expose themselves sure. yeah, i'm, I'm going to be looking at all my nurses sideways from now on isn't your missus a nurse bro she is a nurse <laughs> <laughs> not her not including her not including her let, let, let's keep let's keep let, let me clarify that not including her you know other nurses 
I'm going to be looking at yeah. them sideways like, uh, hmm? Hmm. That's insane. <laughs> but oh, you guys see God. how the Ontario, the, the Ontario College of Nurses just got them right together and said, mm, no, you don't. Like, you're yeah. fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're on leave. Yeah. We're not like, associated oh, with you guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Take their, um, their nurse's license and all that. I'm sure that, that their licenses are revoked by by I mean at least the 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 one that's now a life coach I'm sure her license has been revoked. Oh yeah, um, just throw the whole nurse away. <laughs> throw the whole nurse away. <laughs> uh, moving on to other stories, um, armed protests have been planned for all fifty apparently all fifty U.S. state capitals and again at the U.S. Capitol. Of course, the inauguration is only days away, so they're bracing for the potential of violent protests in the days leading up to it. State officials are calling up on the National Guard troops, erecting and imposing fencing, shutting down Capitol grounds, all in response to the FBI's warning that armed protesters could target the capital cities across the country. A survey done by the New York Times of all 50 states found that at least 10, California, Oregon, Michigan, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Washington, Kentucky, Maine, Illinois, and Florida, many of these, by the way, swing states, are activating uh, National Guard troops in their capital cities. Texas, Virginia, and Kentucky are also among states planning to close their capital grounds at different points in the coming days. Michigan and Indiana took the extraordinary step of canceling their legislative activities next week because of the possibilities of violence. This, of course, isn't all a response to what happened on January 6th. There remains anger uh, around how these states are, have been dealing with the ongoing global pandemic. And it isn't a far reach to see someone who's angry about the pandemic and, and some of the, the lockdown measures and just having them jump on the bandwagon. That is, you know, all the grievances around um, this, uh, what, what they're calling a, a fake election 14 people were charged in Michigan on terrorism, conspiracy, and weapons charges. And at least six of them, officials said, had hatched a detailed plan to kidnap Ms. Whitmer, a Democrat who became a focal point of anti-government views and anger over coronavirus control measures. Now, as far as the U.S. Capitol goes, the grounds at the U.S. Capitol will be closed to the public for Joe Biden's inauguration on January 20th. Also... As of Sunday, approximately 29 individuals and or social media accounts of individuals who unlawfully entered the U.S. Capitol on January 6th have been identified. The FBI has received nearly 45,000 digital media tips that are now being reviewed. So someone's going to get in trouble. Lock them up. Lock them up. Any other thoughts on what's happening uh, as we lead up to the inauguration? You know, it's it feels like a brand new day. It feels like a, you know, the thing with Joe Biden. I mean, he's gonna come in. He's gonna a new president's coming. But I think it's it's time for us to to reset mentally, uh, spiritually, and emotionally as we leave this whole Trump era. One thing I'm worried about is just the residue that's gonna remain from Trump and what he's brought forth and what he's exposed out of people. I know Biden isn't going to push that agenda, but I'm curious to know what's going to happen with the Trump supporters and what more are they going to do to make their presence known, even though they don't have a leader to galvanize them towards making that feeling known, right? Like, what are they going to do? What are they going to continue doing to 
you know, bring out violence and anger and come together towards making this stance known. That's what I'm curious about. But I'm excited for a new change with Biden coming through as a, as the president. Yeah. This week in questions for the audience, social media has banned Trump and his ilk. Many believe that this is the right choice. Do you think that Trumpism will subside quicker as a result? Why or why not? Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. We now have our own Instagram page dedicated to the podcast. Follow us at The Drip TO. Black people, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante. That's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E, for all your graphic design needs. See y'all next time. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.